This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. You know, I'm not preaching when I'm wearing shorts and the, the stand is, is as tall as me. Um, I have, I have the privilege of introducing our uh, guest preacher this morning. Uh, I met uh, Steve Schmidt about a year ago. Um, he and his family uh, moved to Albuquerque from Missouri uh, to plant a new church. And uh, if you've been around our church uh, for any amount of time, you'll know uh, that our heart, uh, part of our DNA is to plant churches all over our city and area and all over the world. Uh, because we believe that that uh, is, is one of the ways in which God is advancing his kingdom rule on earth is by bringing new works uh, of local churches. And so Steve Schmidt and his family moved here about a year ago, and uh, it's, it's hard to plant a church in a city that you're unfamiliar with. And I watched uh, Steve uh, really do some pretty profound groundwork for planting this church and then uh, COVID-19 showed up to the party. And uh, if it wasn't difficult enough to plant a church, uh, then it certainly is now. Uh, but I could say this about Steve, like if that would have happened to me, you, you could almost guarantee I would have been curled up in the fetal position um, crying uh, for my mom. Uh, but Steve and his family, his wife, Amanda, they've got two uh, children, Judah and Skylar, have sensed a very strong and deep uh, call to our city. And so in spite of the circumstances, they did not run and flee uh, and look for other opportunities. They are they're deeply committed to this place and to our people. And so I'm really honored to have Steve uh, to give him the pulpit this morning. He's going to be opening God's word for us uh, from the psalm. So uh, really, really glad to have you, Steve, here. Really excited about the work that God's doing in your life and ministry. So let's welcome Steve uh, to the pulpit this morning. morning. How's everyone doing? We're all surviving? All right. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms chapter 143. Now, uh, I don't know if it's the sagebrush this morning, uh, but I've been really sneezing a lot. I don't have corona, I promise. Um, so if I sneeze up here, don't everybody just run. Um, if, you've, uh, if you're like me, you've had one of those experiences. Uh, I was in Barnes and & Noble, and you know, Barnes & Noble is really quiet, right? It's like a library, and I had to cough and you don't want to cough in public now. That's like the sin. So, you know, you're all trying to, <clears throat> trying to hold it in, and you're gonna, you feel like you're going to about die. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sick, so I just got allergies. Anyways, uh, Psalm 143. Um, this psalm really uh, was entered into my life probably about two or three months ago. I made the commitment to read through the psalms during the last about prior to the pandemic, just on my own. And coming to this psalm, uh, there, there was a lot of things that God brought out and, and, uh, and put into my heart. And then when Adam asked me to preach, and he said, you need to preach on the psalms, it was kind of like, oh, I know exactly what I want to preach on. And I want you to notice as you go through this psalm that there are going to be emotional outcries. There's going to be kind of an erratic up and down as, as David is dealing with emotions that he's feeling with pressure on his life throughout this psalm. Begin with me in verse 1. David says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. 
In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me, and my heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you've done. I I ponder the works of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land slaw. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. For I am your servant. One of the most famous apologist authors of the previous century, C.S. Lewis, led a very fascinating life. He had a journey from being raised in a religious home to becoming an atheist at age 15 to coming back to Christianity at 33. He was one of those guys, he was very much a genius, always in his head. He didn't really have time for romance. And he met a a lady named uh, Helen Joy Gresham. And Helen Joy Gresham stole his heart. He was 58 years old. He'd waited all those years. And they became very close to each other, and and, uh, she had problems with cancer. In fact, they would eventually get married uh, during these problems, and they would only be married for four years when cancer would take her heart, would take her from him. And C.S. Lewis, after this, this, uh, this painful experience he had of waiting his whole life for love to have her taken from him, he began to write down in the loneliness of his home, and he began to keep a journal. And we have that journal. It was published under the, uh, the title called A Grief Observed. And it's C.S. Lewis's thoughts as he's going through the pain and he thinks about his wife and all the, and he's dealing with the goodness of God and the pain of his life and, and why did she go through pain and why do all these things happen? And it's his emotions going up and down as he, he thinks about her and he talks about, you know, if you've ever lost someone in your life that you, you go to say something to them, but they're gone because they're just so used to them being there. Anyways, in this book, he has a, a quote that really stood out, and he says, what do people mean when they say, I am not afraid of God because I know he is good? Have they never, ever even been to a dentist? You might think, well, that's a weird quote. Well, I've had two oral surgeries, and I know exactly what he's talking about. The process of pulling a tooth or, or getting a surgery done in your mouth is extremely painful, but that doesn't mean the dentist isn't good. How we feel in that moment as he's digging around in our mouth and drilling on our tooth doesn't lessen or change the skill of the dentist. 
And in Psalm 143, David reveals the anguish of his soul as he's dealing with this pain and the enemies of his life. And many psalms are used as encouragement. We like to read Psalm 23 or or other psalms to kind of lift up our souls and encourage us. But sometimes like 143 deals with emotions that can kind of make us a little uncomfortable. It's known as a penitential psalm or a complaint psalm, and it shows David's emotions as he's dealing with these things. And essentially, Psalm 143 deals with human emotion when we're distraught. You say, well, what does that mean? Distraught means to be deeply upset or agitated. Let me ask you, have any of us over the last few months been at all deeply upset or agitated by anything going on in our country or the world? Probably. There's quite a few things. Is there a pandemic going on? I think so. I think we've all been upset or agitated, whether it's by the economy, whether it's by a job loss, whether it's by the upending of a routine, uh, politics, no matter what side you stand on, I think we're all deeply upset and agitated in some way with things going on. Masks, we, we fight over them apparently in grocery stores and get it put on the news because we just can't put them over our face. Uh, we, we have job losses, our routines are upended, but how are we to respond when our soul is distraught. How are we to deal with that? How are we to think? I've read about two articles that said alcohol use is almost double the use previous to the pandemic. So we know how some of us are dealing with the deeply upset and distraught part of our soul. We have all these things going on, But we need to remember that as a Christian, we should have a different perspective on how we view these things. There's two things that I want to bring out of this psalm for you this morning. The first is I want you to see the anguish of the distraught soul. If you and I were a fly on the wall and David were to go into a counselor about these issues he's having in this psalm and we were to listen in, his counselor might ask him a question such as, well, these issues you're having in your life, David, how does this make you feel? And we can hear David responding to that question in this psalm. In verses 1 and 7, he doesn't feel heard. He says, hear my prayer, give ear to my pleas for mercy, answer me quickly. He feels like he's not being heard by his God. Verses 3 and 4, he says he feels pursued. He feels crushed. He feels left for dead. He says, I feel like I'm sitting in darkness like those long dead, meaning a dead body in a tomb. I feel like I've been sealed up in a tomb. He says, I'm fainting. That means he's emotionally desolate. He doesn't have any more emotions to give. His heart is appalled. In other words, he's overcome with dismay. And then in verse 7, he says, my spirit fails. He's at his breaking point. And he feels as if he's going, he says, go down to the pit. He feels like he's going to die. Have any of you ever felt that? Maybe you're here today and you're currently feeling one of those emotions, pursued or, or you're crushed or you feel like your spirit is failing or maybe with, with the school starting and, and the kids and all these things and your jobs and schedules, you feel like uh, I, I'm just at my breaking point. All I have to go is read some Albuquerque Public School Facebook comments and I can see there's a lot of people here in Albuquerque who are at their breaking point with the change of schedules. My children are in school, and I know my wife and I, we had a little bit of a breaking point a couple days ago as we looked at our schedules. You know, I've been through depression before, and I can tell you that during that time, my soul was distraught. 
And, I, and I, as I read this psalm, I began to identify with some of the things David says that, you know, I would wake up in the morning, I felt like I hadn't slept. I, I lived with this invisible weight on my chest that just wouldn't leave. I felt pursued and crushed. I felt emotionally desolate. There were most times I couldn't pray except God help me. That's all I had left. Has your soul ever been distraught? Maybe it's not depression. Maybe you're just dealing with overcome, being overcome with anxiety. You just don't know what's going to happen the next few months. You, we don't know what's going to happen in the next two weeks. We can't make plans. Maybe uh, crushed under expectations. You know, we're all homeschoolers now. If we're not sending our kids to private schools, maybe there's a few expectations there that we have on ourselves. And, oh, great, my kids', ex, my kids uh, education is on me now. Great, you know. Um, has your health ever brought you to a breaking point? I know my wife has had extensive health problems, and there's been times that you can feel like God's just not hearing you. What about emotional pain or woundedness from a spouse or a family member or a parents or your children? We deal with all these things in our life, and there's so many things that can cause our soul to be distraught and agitated and upset. You know, as American Christians, we tend to feel that these things, we tend to, sorry, we tend to feel these things, and then we have this idea that we're not supposed to show it because, you know, Christians are only joyful. We just need to show everybody how happy we are because otherwise they won't want to be a Christian like me. But especially if you are a church leader or a church ministry or anything in church, you're expected to be a super Christian. You're expected to be this person that, you know, I've conquered my pain and sin. That way everybody wants to come to Christ and just be as happy as I am. I've got no problems. And revealing I struggle emotionally becomes a, a, a weakness or a source of shame. We worry about what others think of us. But if you're someone who struggles with that, I want to encourage you with this. It's okay to feel distraught. It's okay to feel that way. Because it means... It's part of being human in a broken world. Because even Christ was distraught in the garden and felt anguish. And we are not greater than our Lord. You're not a lesser Christian, a lesser mother, a lesser father, a lesser employee because you feel distraught under the pressure of these types of things. You're not less spiritual. We're not less of a person or less human. It just means we live in a world broken by sin, and that's why we look forward to our hope when Christ will fully make all things new and take those things out of our hands. See, it's okay to feel distraught. Those feelings aren't wrong. The, what we need to remember, it's what we do when we feel that way that matters. It's where we find our anchor during that time when we're distraught that matters. I want you to see next, we have the anguish of the distraught soul. Now I want you to move into the main body of what we're going to look at, and that's the anchor of the distraught soul. See, David doesn't find resolution in this psalm to his problem. He doesn't end on a high note, but he does show us what to do when we're in anguish and distraught. In verses 1, 11, and 12, David gives the anchor that he clings to. Now verse 1 is kind of awkward in the ESV, so I'm going to read the CSB version of it. It's verse 1 says, In your faithfulness listen to my plea, and in your righteousness answer me. Then verse 11 and 12, he says, In your righteousness bring my soul out of trouble. In your steadfast love you will cut off my enemies. Now here's the big idea, and we're going to kind of unpack this for the rest of the time here today. 
The anchor of the distraught soul is the character of God. The anchor of the distraught soul is the character of God. You see, how you feel, we talked about that dentist earlier, how you feel doesn't change the character of God. Just like the dentist, your pain in the moment doesn't change his skill. You see, our pain and our anguish in this moment, our distraught soul, the things going on, the things that have upset us, they don't change God's character. He is just as steadfastly loving. He is just as faithful. He is just as righteous. He is just as graceful, gracious. He is just as merciful. He is just as kind in my pain as he is in my joy. He is the same God always. But let's ask, how does David arrive at this? He gives that as sound of his anchor. He says, I, I, I lean towards these things but how does he arrive at that? Well, first of all, the first thing he does, verses 5 and 6, is he cultivates his memory of God's faithfulness. He says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the works of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Remember means to be mindful. It's just kind of always there. And meditate literally means to moan or mutter. He's constantly muttering, talking to himself about the things that God has done for him, the faithfulness of God that God has previously done for him. He talks about, I ponder, I speak it aloud, I muse it, I talk about it. And he says, I stretch out my hands, this activeness of stretching his hands out to God. And he says, I I thirst for you. There's this activeness, and I do these things when I'm distraught. You know, many of us act as if if God, many of us act as if we don't feel that God has been good to us in a couple weeks or a couple months, then we're not sure if we can trust him. Because he just hasn't overflowed me with blessings lately. You know, we have this newborn passiveness at time in our life as Christians that if God isn't like mommy and actively rocking us to sleep and feeding us encouragement every few moments, then he just doesn't love me. That just doesn't, that doesn't change God's character. You know, Eugene Peterson, he was a pastor and a Christian author. He passed away just recently. He talks about in his classic book on long obedience in the same direction. He says there are going to be times of what he calls weanings. How many of you have had kids and you had to go through a time of weaning for your kids? We're going to go from right from the milk, we're going to go to the cereal, we're going to go from cereal to solid foods, and your child is just like, what in the world are you doing in my life right now? I remember this milk stuff, and now you're bringing me this solid stuff, and it's just not as good, and you're not feeding it to me, and you're making me use my hands. What is going on here? Do you even love me anymore? And your child usually says that more and just screams than anything else at that moment. But there are going to become these times that we have to tell our kids, you know, you're going to have to get your own snack or pour your own juice, and your kid thinks, well, how dare the parent not serve me anymore? And at times there are going to come in our life of weaning, in our Christian life, when God is not going to spoon feed us and bottle feed us with the encouragement, we're going to have to do some work in our brain and in our soul to actively take time to remember and to meditate and to ponder, to stretch out our hands and to actively thirst for him and to reach for him. You know, since uh, my wife and I have been married and have been in ministry, uh, we have, uh, we've pastored two churches in two different states back east. And I could tell you all, there's all kinds of times that God entered in, especially early in our ministry, 
He entered in through things and provided something in the nick of time that you know, us very poor people living on beans and burritos didn't really have anything left to give. And God would reach in in that moment and provide something that we just didn't see that he was going to provide. And there were times that he would work in ways that we just couldn't help realize, but it was him. But recently, uh, we've been married for almost 10 years now. I believe that God has been weaning us and making us realize that his love for us, his goodness, is more than a in-nick-of-time provision. It's soul-deep. It can be the small things of the calm and the storm. It can be the lifting of an invisible weight. It can be the rescue from mental anguish. It can simply be him being our refuge and our, our slight little peace in the midst of the absolute chaos going around us. And in those moments, we write those up and we store them away so that the next time, we too, like David, can pull them out and remember them, ponder on them, talk about them. It's actively stretched for him and thirst for the one who's our anchor. See, David cultivates a memory of God's faithfulness. The other thing he does is he cultivates his desire for God. Look in verse 8. He says, Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. You know, whenever I was going through a time of being distraught, the one thing that kept me anchored in God's character when I was going through a, a depression or, or whatever it was, the one thing that kept me anchored were the habits I had established to cultivate that desire for God. And my main habit that I had established that when everything else was going nuts, I didn't feel like praying, I didn't feel like singing, I didn't feel like listening to Christian music. It was a habit of daily meditation on the word of God that became an anchor for me as God through that continually taught me this is my character. No matter what's going on in your life or what you're feeling, this is who God is. You know, what happens in New Mexico, if you have a yard and you plant sod, but then you never water it, what happens to it? It's going to be gone, right? It's not even going to be there. You know, my, uh, my family, when I was about six years old, moved from Kansas City, Missouri to Cheyenne, Wyoming. Cheyenne, Wyoming is going through a drought. It's a Western, uh, a Western climate. And my dad was used to you know, he just let his lawn go. He didn't have to ever worry about watering it. We never fertilized it. You know, it just grew into a jungle just automatically. We didn't have to do anything. And then he moved to Wyoming, and he thought he could do the same thing there. And within a year, we had, we had a field of dirt in our yard. And we had little tufts of grass, and I would go out to mow, and it would, I'd hit a piece of grass, and then poof, all this dust, and hit another piece of grass, and all this dust. We had to go in and completely till out the whole thing, put fertilizer and seed in, and water it, and put all this thousands of dollars of work in it to get our yard back. You know, it's no different with our soul. If we don't cultivate our desire for God, we're going to end up with a spiritually parched and dry soul which will be made even worse when the drought comes, when the distraught soul, when, the, when our soul has the weight on it, when the things come in our life that we don't know what to deal with, it's going to be even 
worse. This means looking to allow God to teach us by actively desiring him and trusting in him on a regular basis of finding our refuge in him. You know, a young man contacted me a little while back that I knew, and he said, I don't feel like I desire God anymore. He's in Bible college. He, is, uh, he doesn't know if he wants to preach or not, but he says, I don't feel like I desire God anymore. I have trouble reading my Bible and praying. I don't really want to do these things. It's, it's become so hard for me. Like, What's going on? Am I, am I, is God like not liking me anymore or something because I don't desire these things? And I said, it's about cultivating that desire because it's going to be hard work. Your desire for God just doesn't come out of nowhere and, oh, I just always have one because God gave it to me. It's because we take the time to get in his word, to pray, to cultivate that desire for him. And when the hard time comes, we have an anchor because we have previously taken the time to continually build a habit of cultivating our desire for God. David anchored his distraught soul in God's character by cultivating a memory of God's faithfulness and a desire for God. So let me ask a couple questions here as we end. Let me ask you if you are a Christian here. Is your soul distraught? You know, we, uh, we kind of want to all act like we're just okay. We're fine, right? That's, that's kind of our American thing. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm fine. You know, whatever. But really deep down, I think most of us, whether we want to admit it or not, are agitated right now. We're distraught in some way, in some form. And can you identify just a little bit with how David feels of being pursued and crushed and fainting, breaking point, all that type of stuff? And I want to ask you, where's your anchor? What is it that is holding you and keeping you moored to reality right now? For some of us, it might be Netflix and Hulu and Peacock and all the other entertainment we can think of. Uh, it might be a substance. It might be uh, you know, a relationship we just lean on. It might be a career we've thrown ourselves into being a workaholic during this time. But let me tell you, you say, man, I'm, I'm having a hard time believing God is good or loving right now. It just doesn't feel like it. You are, in effect, saying that how you feel determines God's character. You see, you have your anchor in your feelings, not in your God. Cultivate your memory. Cultivate your desire. Actively thirst for him for no matter what, your anguish or pain. He is still a good God who steadfastly loves you with an everlasting, unchangeable love. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, maybe you're visiting today or maybe you've been coming. I don't know who is here or what your spiritual state are. Maybe this sounds a little bit like hooey to you. You're just like, I'm just, whatever. I don't know. I don't really get this stuff. I want you to consider a few things. What if, you know, all of us here, Christians, identifying with this type of thing, you know, what if we're not nut jobs and maybe there's something to this soul and anchor stuff? The Bible teaches we were made in God's image you were made to desire him, to hope for something beyond what you see, beyond the brokenness that we experience daily. God put that desire in our soul as part of our being. That when we look around us, we have this sense that things just are not as they ought to be. And it bothers us. 
God sent Christ to die on the cross to renew this broken world. And his grace allows you and I to become active participants in this renewal when we give our allegiance and our faith to Christ as our king. So if you're not here as a Christian and you're kind of like, I just don't know about this stuff, I would encourage you and I would pray for you that you would seek him and follow him and find your anchor and mooring in him who never fails and always loves. Let's pray. Father God, I come before you. No, Lord God, we... We thank you so much for your character and who you are to us. Lord, you, we, we are so weak and you pitch a tent in the middle of our weaknesses because that is where you are able to work. In our weakness is your strength. And Lord, as all these things going on around us and all the upheaval and, and we don't know what's going on and just it's just craziness, Lord, I pray that we would remember that it is in that moment that we are to seek for you, to continue to find our refuge for you, to keep going, and to remember that no matter what, your grace and mercy overflow, and you love us with an everlasting love that will never, ever fail. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. 